Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and each other. I am your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me this week is my new friend, Jason Frischman. I'm really excited to dig into this topic, particularly since it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We're going to be talking a lot about mental health and men in particular. But let me tell you a little bit about Jason. So Jason Frischman lives in rural Vermont with his wife and two sons building a homestead and spending as much time outdoors as possible. I'm very envious of that. He has been working for over 20 years to support individuals, groups, families, organizations, and businesses. He's excited to bring over his two decades of work in offices, institutions, kitchens, farmers markets, woodlots, and boardrooms to wild new environments. Whether as a psychotherapist, the creator and founder of Journeyman, public speaker, thought leader, or narrative consultant, Jason believes that our lives are adventurous and we can and should be active and engaged author of our own adventure stories. Welcome to the show, Jason. Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's, it's always nice to hear that read back. So it's a it, thank you. Well, okay. So what else, what else would you like people to know about you? Oh, goodness. I just came back from somewhere where I had that question. And so I was going to use the same answer, which is I, in addition to everything I do with men, I'm also very passionate about um, food ways and food activism and, and things like that. And so I've been teaching about fermentation and traditional nourishing food ways uh, for the last 15 to 20 years. I feel like so that, we have a, a big one future. That's a future topic for us. Oh, I'd love to talk about that for sure. There's so much I don't know. <laughs> and so much that would be valuable. <laughs> no, I, I love that. So, you know, w one of the things that that drew me to you. So uh, our paths crossed on LinkedIn. I, I don't know. You showed up. The algorithm was like, hey, you might you might like this guy. And, you know, and as I started following you, I started to notice some of the really uh, incredible work you were doing, particularly around supporting men from a mental health perspective, from, a, um, you know, reconnecting with their intimacy, uh, connecting with their emotions. And, and as people know on the show, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, you know, both from the standpoint of. I see it. I see the cost, right, of 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 the rules and yeah. the. Um, it's something that uh, Nick and I talk about quite quite often, and 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 how that limits people. But take us back, you know. So you know, we read the bio, but take us back a little bit of where where did your journey start, and what were some of the things that shaped you to doing the work that you do now? That's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I you know. Part of it is anyone who knows me for a long time, you know, one of my closest friends, I, I was talking to him about this conversation that we were having today. And, you know, he said, he's like, just remember, like all of us who know you, it makes sense what you're doing. Yeah. So even as a kid, yeah. I was often the the person who was in the middle talking to people. And, you know, I my father's a social worker, my mother's a teacher, you know, as a kid, I was, my favorite thing was to go in and help other kids and, you know, go with them to work. Um, and so it was quite, it, it, it was a long and curvy, but, but very expected path that I've been on. And so, um, you know, I, I graduated undergrad with a psychology degree and then found through like coincidence and synchronicity, this amazing program, a master's program in adventure therapy. Hmm. So, you know, never had heard of that before and wound up, you know, really, it like loving that that was life changing um and then wound up working in some wonderful places in rural new hampshire and hiked the appalachian trail and then wound up finding the perfect grad program for my doctorate where you know i had the year before been given a wait list for another program and they gave me the feedback that i had too many of my own ideas hmm. that's why i didn't get in right away mm, mm. and so this doctorate program when i applied I sort of said, listen, I have a master's. I've been working for seven or eight years. I'm certainly open, but I do have many of my own ideas. And they were like, yeah, come on in. They pretty much like invited me at the end of that interview. And when I graduated with my doctorate, the, the, the head of the school 
sort of joke that I took more independent studies than anyone else in the history of the school <laughs> because I knew what I was looking to learn. And, and yeah. so, yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful thing. I've, I've worked for over 25 years with, I'm dating myself a little bit with this reference, but a boys to men practice. Sure. <laughs> I really focus with boys, men, and families. And then started the, the coaching program a couple of years back when I really wanted, I felt like it was the best way to serve men um, within the confines of the culture and the, the systems that we have now. Yeah, that's that's amazing for people. So I, I just want to um, go back to one thing that you mentioned, just to clarify. Uh, what So what's adventure therapy for those of us who are unfamiliar familiar with that? Because <laughs> it sounds kind of amazing. <laughs> In sh- it, it is. It, it, it's wonderful. And the programs and the, the there's an international adventure therapy community that is wonderful and creative and it's pushing the therapeutic world in many like pushing the bounds and really beautifully but in short adventure therapy is the use of the metaphor and concept of adventure Hmm. with an experiential active based therapy that utilizes very strongly metaphors and um connects the activities that you're doing, which stereotypically people think of camping, hiking, mm-hmm. you know, ropes courses, but it can be any activity, but connecting the, the the structural components of the activity metaphorically with the issues that you're working on in, mm. in therapy. Mm. And it's really a powerful experience. You can come to adventure therapy from many different styles of therapy. So it can be both a philosophy of healing and treatment, but also a collection of um, techniques and strategies and tools. I have taken it into a slightly different way where I lean more heavily on the metaphor and the storytelling aspects mm. of adventure therapy because I'm, you know, I'm working here virtually in many ways and um, lot for lots of reasons, but I, I went a different way than taking kids or adults or, you know, people into the woods or on ropes courses, I do it more um, and have always done it more in offices and in the community. Got it. That's so interesting. It's I yeah. I mean, it, in a past life, I was a ropes course instructor. So I spent a lot of time in my younger generation, like not as a therapist, but right, like doing team building. But also, I just had my first experience with forest bathing. Um, you know, which was basically a oh guided goodness, yes. mindfulness meditation. It was cold as hell. And it was like a little too cold to be able to like really sit with it. And then I was like, well, what's that teaching us? And what's the metaphor there? Um, and, you know, how do we hold steady? But you guys start doing cold plunges. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I might need to it, um, it. But what was so interesting and, 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 and it makes sense, right? We know how like healing nature can be and being connected and being out in it. So I, I love, love hearing. And I'm sort of not surprised just the little that I've learned about you. I'm like, oh, this, I mean, you know, like your friend said, like, this makes sense. Like, this makes sense that this is part of your your journey. I want to, I want to, though, spend as much time as we can from the standpoint of the work that you do with your journeyman's work. So talk to us about Talk to us about that program. Talk to us about, you know, where did it start from a standpoint of the need that you were seeing? I mean, I and I and I will say again, this is something that, um, you know, I think I think more people are starting to talk about like toxic masculinity. We're starting to become much more aware of these gender roles or, you know, these roles and rules that have been placed on all of us. um, And how they really impact and limit and cause a lot of harm. And, and that's definitely what, what drew me to your work. So I just, I just want to be a student. So teach me, you know, so, so talk to me about the work you do and, and, and what do you, what do you see? Like, what are the things that you observe um, are real needs when it comes to uh, mental health in men? Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you. It is, I can say that having started journeyman has been, some of the most energizing and inspiring period of my entire career and Mm. making that shift is you know it calls upon all sorts of creativity and connections and i get to do it in um in the way that i see is is most useful and helpful to other men and so you know that's i think the first piece is you know i've been a therapist for 25 years 
and the managed care, the boundaries, all of them are there for a reason. And I certainly am not here to put down the therapeutic, you know, the, the therapy industry. I still do it full time. Um, but what I found were many of the men that I was working with, we would have these amazing, like powerful sessions. And at least a quarter of their progress was sort of lost as soon as they left my office and went back into mm. a culture that isn't supporting the kind of changes they were making. Mm. And that that was heartbreaking, right? Um, you know, I used to start some of the talks that I give about journeymen by saying, I have lost count how many times I've heard men say, you know, if my wife left me, I'd have no one to tell. Mm. Mm. And these are and these same guys are guys who will argue that they have friends, they've got buddies, mm-hmm. right? But if their wife left them, they'd have nobody mm. to tell. And mm. so that was one piece. And then then it, the real point in terms of saying, like committing to saying, I'm going to start doing this in a different way was I was sitting with the client in my office and on the other side of my door in the waiting room, there was another male client that I knew was I was seeing next. And I'm in many ways, not allowed to introduce those guys. Right. And because I know them so each of them individually so deeply, I can say like, if I could have introduced them, they would have significantly less need of me. And that was sort of the, that realization in the middle of the session was one thing that really said, all right, I need to find a way to do this differently. Mm-hmm. And that started my journey sort of towards looking at coaching and looking at, you know, building communities rather than the sort of sequestering away that therapy encourages. Yeah. Right. Um, so journeyman specifically, uh, you know, what it is is really based on is the isolate, well, in supporting men to create connections, right? Mm-hmm. The isolation that men have um, on so many levels is, is is damaging on every level, you know, our health, our relationships, our parenting, our business, you know, there's so much that, you know, we can see in, in today's day and age we are men are are dying early they're the highest rate of suicide there there's all levels of depression and anxiety and 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 these kinds of things where even men who outwardly look incredibly successful there is this deep level of isolation shame um secrecy yeah and so you have men who maybe on the outward side look incredibly successful and are you know making a lot of money and all of these things but who, you know, are 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 lost, hmm. and and that's where journeyman sort of steps in. Is we're looking to create new narratives and new ways of being for men and for fathers, yeah, and ways of connecting. And and so the need is is truly one that I think on just about every single level in our society, if we start to work on other things in our world, get better, right? Like. Hmm the patriarchy the you know there's lots of talk about patriarchy and and uh social justice and uh all of this and yes we have to continue putting all of our energy or lots of energy into women's movements black lives matter like so many different things i believe that if we help men to do better all of these other things also do better like you know we are basically one of the things and i didn't make this up but i heard it from somewhere else i can't remember but patriarchy doesn't care about men either right right i i'm getting so i gotta say jason you know part of it is i'm in a little bit of a tender spot personally but just you know hearing you talk makes me makes me a little misty-eyed you know it's from the standpoint of i don't know that I, i i don't know that i've I've ever thought about it as clearly as you just stated how how many issues and challenges we have really hinge on that isolation, the loneliness, the inability to be vulnerable, the um, just all of that, right? Whether that's from a violence perspective, whether, yeah, the shame, right? And the not like living up, you know, we'll, we'll get into the whole like hero's journey here in a little bit. um, But before we jump to that, I just want to honor that because one of the things, you know, so I I work um, largely with executives and uh, senior leaders, which means I'm largely working with white men, right? Like, let's be very clear in typically who I'm working with. 
And, you know, as an executive coach, it's not uncommon for conversations, especially because so much of my work is about trust and uh, building deep relationships, right? How many times I've, you know, I've, I've heard folks say like, I don't either a, I just don't feel anything below the neck or, or, you know, men really lament of, um, yeah, like I have friends to drink beer with, I have friends to watch sports with, but I don't have friends to have these kind of conversations with. And, you know, and I, and I know that so much specifically speaking from an American culture, because we have an international audience, but specifically from an international, like from an American culture, right? So much of that is like patriarchal, white supremacist, um, homophobia, right? Like all of that. And the thing that I see, so gosh, I, I was, um, I was speaking at an event that was uh, largely, largely men, mostly white men. And it was all about just like, how do we show up in emotionally charged conversations? How do we be more curious with ourselves? How do we understand stressors? I mean, it was all all kind of under the guise of how do we navigate conflict? And it was so interesting to me how many men were like, I just really appreciated how authentic we could be, like how vul- like vulnerable we got to be in this session. And 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 that's the thing I see is that there's such a craving of it. And and this is where my ADHD is coming in. So I'm bouncing a bit. So let me get back to my my point and my question. No, I you know, when you were, are you following me, my fellow ADHD person? You got me? hundred percent. I'm with you. Okay. That's good. Um, <laughs> but but I, I have started to reflect on and and wonder about how so many of the issues we have in the workplace related to safety, related to engagement, related to um, even inclusion are like, what role does it play that the people who are in power aren't the people who know how to build those kind of relationships because they have been socially and culturally conditioned not to, you know, like, it's like, I'm like, I don't. And so I'm just curious, like what comes up for you and, you know, what thoughts would you add to all of my, my thoughts? Well, I, I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, one of the things that I dream for journeymen is at some point to be doing more workshops with corporate work and businessmen because, mm-hmm. or executive pieces, because you're absolutely right. Like the almost in order to become an executive, you have to eschew all of this kind of relational connection mm-hmm. piece and there's something really wrong with that right like there is something incredibly wrong with the and you mentioned socialization but the way that for decades we have been in a dominance based cultural you know setup and domination isn't doesn't work like you know there yeah. there are you know we can argue that dominance works for capitalism but there are certainly other ways to do capitalism that um, might be helpful for everyone, might actually yeah. help us feel connected and have more of a values-based direction. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think you know, so many times I've, I've talked to men who are in my office or you know, in, in, in the coaching program where they have reached a level of success outside, outside of their work. And in order to do that, though, they are silencing a part of themselves mm. sim- simply that hurts. It hurts to mm. do. And, and um, I think men are either explicitly aware of that, but they are certainly implicitly feeling it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, gosh, that, that makes me think of, um, there's an author, Alok, who speaks a lot on like non-binary experiences um but they teach a class on creative writing and one of the questions they ask people to reflect on is um i'm not going to get the language right but what part of you did you have to silence basically in order to to show up where you you are and so you know so i'm i'm curious you know what for for people who are listening for you know specifically you know for our uh male members who are listening to this this show you know what are what are some of the common um patterns of limiting beliefs or 
um, maybe even some shame spirals or whatever. Like, what are some what are some of those common patterns just to normalize it a bit, right? Like, you know, things that I know I've seen yeah. is, you know, people who don't fit the dominant kind of like machismo, super career driven norm, like that can be that can be really detrimental from a self sense of self worth, right? And and values perspective, yeah. right? When your value absolutely. And so I'm curious to hear, you know, just what what do you observe in your work and how can we normalize some of this? Because like you said, you know, people are experiencing it implicitly, um, maybe explicitly, but yeah. just how do we like shine a light on that? There's there's so many. It's interesting you say that because like there's big ones like, you know, you know, being successful financially or sexually, or, you know, like being machismo, there, there are these things. And I, and those are real, they, they are very big and, and, and they happen. But I find even with men who consider themselves more sort of aware than that, there are smaller, more, um, I don't know, uh, they, they, there are smaller stories that infiltrate that are harder to see. Mm. Um, the one I, the, the thing that I often like to talk about is, um, frankly, anything that is childlike, feminine, or other mm. is essentially not okay to be for men, right? Mm. And so when we think about, you know, um, even so, so when, let's say you have somebody who's being silly and enjoying life, like laughing and playing jokes. I'd like to see them hang out with the executives you work with, mm -hmm. right? Even just being playful, you know, that level of, of, of silliness or, or connection through humor is something that our current sort of man box society doesn't value and, and sort of actively issues and, and pushes away. So everything from silliness to anything that might be seen as feminine or mm -hmm. soft, mm -hmm. you know, the, these, these, these levels of, you know, I, I mean, the idea of like hugging and kissing your kids, you know, I, I, on that level, it is, I, you know, I have guys who I've worked with who have struggled with that. Right. Like their goal in some of our coaching work is to hug their kids every single day. Now, mm. for listeners, I don't want it to say like there are guys who do that very open. There's lots of guys who do that, but we're still impacted by this sort of man box culture to the point where like even speaking out against other men is seen, mm. you know, like you can't speak against the boys club. Right. You, you mentioned or, you know, you see your your if. If you witness, let's say, another man in person or online making misogynistic comments of some sort, most men will, even when who like notice that and are appalled by it or whatever, most men are not going to say anything. Because in this culture, if you do that, then you're the next target. Yeah. And so we've got this whole, you know pressured system where patriarchal dominant society not only is actively pushing sort of these qualities away, but is also bullying men who might stand up to, to change it. Yeah. Like, I mean, which is just depressing when you, when you hear it said how you just said it. So it's like, that's fucked up. You know, I mean, like, and we, we, we know it. <laughs> we, I mean, we see it and God, I couldn't, you know, I smiling at your language, not smiling because I thought it was funny, but more just like mm -hmm. how, how common, how common it is. We hear things in our work. Like that's pretty soft. Um, it's kind of squishy. Mm -hmm. Um, we're really technical. That's the thing we hear a lot. We're really technical, Sarah. We're yeah. really, we're very analytical. We kind of don't do relationships. And I was like, mm, but you, you do, you just don't do them well. Um, like, right. <laughs> but it, it's, but there is this, like, I need to set this identity that, and the thing that's so funny, the thing that not funny, but the thing that is so consistent, let me clarify my language. The thing that is always so consistent, and I'm sure you see this in your work as well, is that when, when we uh, are able to create an environment 
Um, and to start to build some of the muscles of connecting with yourself, connecting with someone else, um, even if that's as simple as like just through like listening differently and reflecting back differently, right? Like we're not talking bearing your soul, but even just fundamental coaching trainings that we do, it is always so provocative for so many men and and how much they appreciate it, right? So even though there is this like, like we're analytical, we're this, you know, we're not, we're not soft, but we recognize we need to do better job, but we're really analytical, Sarah. Um, how many of them, when they get the opportunity to connect in a deeper way, really, really appreciate it. And, and I think almost like recognize that it's something missing. But then, like you said, when you were talking earlier about how your clients would go back and like lose most of their progress, then they just go back into their like old patterns and that gets buttoned up and like, well, that was fun. Like, it's like, well, this is what it could yeah. be like. <laughs> Well, and I think, but that's exactly kind of what you're saying. Even these subtle things that keep men from, from connecting in this way, it's like that, you know, we have to be cold, kicking and streaming. But once we're there, it feels so good. It's really like I let my shoulders down and I can connect. Mm-hmm. But that takes work, right? Like we mm-hmm. are, we are, are, are pushing back against many decades of socialization that, you know, some of the real subtle things or, or spirals or, or messages that were given really are that men don't do that and that we don't need to connect. And there's like all of these pieces, you know, so many, I have male friends who, you know, when their birthday comes, what do you want for birthday? Oh, nothing. Just, just hang out, you know, mm-hmm. like they like asking for ourselves and, and connecting in that way or, you know, any number of really subtle, small things that are harmful, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are like men being able to like connect in real and powerful ways. Um, it, it, it grows upon itself, but it takes work. It's not, um, it, it isn't easy because we truly have been taught to believe. So the story, you know, I, I, my, one of my focuses is narrative therapy and, the stories that we're taught, that we learn, that we hear about ourselves become the reality. Mm-hmm. So in some, there are many men who wouldn't even question, even though it feels terrible, wouldn't even question the story that, well, I don't need this, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't think below the head, or, you know, the, you know, these elements are not even, like, it's almost taken for granted. That's just the way we are. Right. I've heard people say, well, when men and women are so different, it's biological, it's genetic. And that's mm-hmm. not true. Actually, neurologically, it's not true. Like we don't need we don't have a physiological need to be a provider who stands apart. Who does, you know, that's that, that that's a story that we've been told mm-hmm. for years, decades. Mm. You know, the one thing you said about it made me think about it when you said that they like they would say, like, I don't experience it below the head or below the neck. I had a, a mentor whom I worked with years ago who's a physician, and he used to say the worst thing that the medical world ever did was cut the head off the body, mm. which, you know, to me is, is, has been a really important thing I think about now doing psychology and mental health is let's bring the body back to the head. You yeah. Know, so we, we do a little bit of both work. So, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm. There's so much, there's so much for us to explore with this. And, you know, one of the things that, I mean, you, you, you hit on this, but that I, that I was curious about, you know, when you were talking about, for example, the um, dads who might struggle with even showing their kids affection. I remember mm, last year or two reading some article um, that basically was like talking about how part of part of a contributing factor to isolation, loneliness is that lack of physical affection that basically men only get physical affection if they have a partner. And usually even then it's always in a sexual way, you know, whereas like, it's always, know, again, it's always transactional. Okay. Say more. Yeah. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I mean, the physical physical touch is something that, you know, we're taught as men so early on that it's either going to be sports-based, sexual-based, 
And it's almost always, I do something and get something in return, right? This transactional piece. And it's, it, it, it's really, it, it's, you know, the, there will be guys who are really into giving whatever it is, but it's still this piece of like, well, looking for something, looking like trying to like, I did a good job. So I get a, you Pat know, on the I, back. Like, I get a cookie basically, <laughs> you know, like, and, and so physical touch, which is, is truly a needed necessary thing for mental health, right? Like, one of the when I first started journeyman, I did a bunch of R and D conversations with men who are fathers, and one guy um, said something that I I repeat all the time, and I tell him that I I share this all the time. But he's I I was I said going through a program like this, what would be a goal? And his first thing was, I want my kid, who now holds my hand at twelve the way he held it at two, to still feel comfortable holding it at twenty two, mm-hmm. and you know like. I have a 15 year old and he still will climb into my lap sometimes. And, you know, I, 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 it's something that's incredibly powerful. And we have that with, you know, our kids, it's, it's slightly more acceptable these days, but I often think about like friends, right? Like my male friends, my sons have seen me hugging. They've seen me kiss on the cheek. They've seen me like really being held because something bad happened and I had a friend hold me, right? Like Hmm. these are things that, um, I don't know, 10 years ago as men, we wouldn't say out loud. Maybe. And still most won't today. Right. Right. Yeah. Still not, still definitely like not, not the norm. And it's, um, you know, and it's, and it's interesting. I, I was really fortunate to be, I come from a family of fairly like very sensitive, sensitive men. Like my dad is, my dad's just a crier, right? Like he's just like, God bless him. Like sappy commercial, the (laughs) shoulders start going, you know, but I, but I realized the more that I've like learned about thought about, right. These gender roles, like even, you know, like I'm so grateful that I had that. And also I see the like needing to hide it, needing to like mask the emotions, right? Maybe people joking about it. Oh, there he goes again, or whatever the case is. And like, these are all these little messages we send. And like, on one hand, I'm just, I'm so grateful that, you know, when I think about my dad and my brothers, who was part of my formative life is very, Um, But how that gets chipped away and how that gets whittled away because of the, the, the box you're in. We'll be back with Jason Frischman in a moment. One of the things that, um, you know, you, you and I were talking about just a little bit, I want to make sure that we uh, have some time for it is um, you know, uh, uh, that, that idea of the hero's journey and why that's actually so problematic and how that contributes to some of this. So I'm curious to hear more about that. Oh, goodness. You're up in a box here. Um, you know, okay. I'm we got it, time. It's good. This, this is my dissertation, which is on that. So, got it. <laughs> um, so the hero's journey for anyone who's listening who doesn't know with about it in in a very short description is a narrative um arc storyline that was you know made most popular by a, a, a an academic named Joseph Campbell and but it was development of uh, Carl Jung's work in psychology lots of people have used it today it's the narrative of every single Pixar movie mm-hmm. most Disney movies um star wars lord of the rings uh all of the hero superhero movies it is ubiquitous and is pretty much the main narrative that most stories told today are are following and um in fact joseph campbell called it the mono myth he basically said this is the foundational myth to all of society internal and external right like our Hmm. internal inner worlds and our external worlds and i love it I love the story. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Like I said, I wrote my dissertation on it through that metaphor. Um, 
And you see it being used. I, I would say a large majority of men's coaching programs use it as a basis for their development work. Um, a lot of therapy. I, for ten, my first 10 years as a therapist, it was the foundational way that I designed therapeutic interventions. Hmm. Um, then, so so my training, my doctorate training is primarily in narrative therapy. And that one of the tenets of narrative therapy is to identify the dominant stories, either in ourselves, our family, or our culture, right? And question them. Because mm. dominant stories, by the essence of being dominant, are oppressive to other stories. There are mm. other, you know, a dominant story that we take as real or as truth is something that actually covers up all sorts of other potentialities. Mm. You know, just a very simple, quick way of explaining that is you and I have an hour to talk. There's no way I'm going to tell you my whole life story in an hour. I have to choose certain stories. And those stories create a plot, a plot line that is in um, that, that, that shows a particular way of being that I'd like to present myself. But we also, if we were doing it, like you mentioned earlier, we could do a topic on fermentation. You're likely going to get a little bit of a different plot line. Yeah. They're fairly similar in my line, but that's a, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but um, so... What happens then when we have a cultural story, because our stories culturally guide and model who we are and how we are as people and relating, when we have a cultural story that is so omnipresent and so oppressive of all other ways or most other ways of being, then we have sort of basically limited options as to how to connect, relate, and be as people, but specifically as men, because I would argue that the, the hero's journey is predominantly a masculine yeah. story. Yeah. Even though right now, you know, there's certainly, they're being retold from a feminine perspective and there's lots of female heroes, but but the story itself is one of, uh, uh, you know, just to, again, for listeners, the basic story is you have a hero who lives in his or her place, either gets kicked out or called out to go to another realm, Climb a mountain, battle a dragon, get a treasure, get some help from other people, cross back over to their home, and either save the universe or be not recognized and kicked out to continue adventuring. That's the, hmm. the basic, you know, plot line. And wonderfully, it is a big part of our psyche, right? Like this idea that um, I have to go into a new space. I have to get help from people. I have to challenge people and, and earn a treasure that I can then use for something. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I find is, you know, Journeyman originally was called Adventure's Other Half. Because mm. what I find is that that story, first of all, celebrates going off and challenging things, going off and getting treasures, doing this sort of big, epic, legendary thing, and essentially denigrates staying home and doing the dishes hmm. and staying home and, and, hmm. and changing diapers or tending the garden or, you know, keeping the hearth going or, or whatnot. And as a culture, what, what has happened, right? We value making money, going out and providing, going out and doing big things, and we devalue staying home. We devalue our everyday mundane life in order to reach to do epic things. And so many of my men in my therapy office, in my client, in my coaching world, if we're not epic, if we're not legendary, then what are we? Hmm. And that underlines a depression and anxiety and anger that men are showing. And, and I think that we, again, the hero's journey is not a bad story, but it's not the whole story, right? When the hero is, is being beaten and is down on the ground and the dragon's on their head and, you know, they're about, they're all, they're down and out. Oftentimes you get a flashback or you get something, they reach in their pocket and they find a talisman or something like that. And what are they rem remembering? They're remembering home. They're remembering what the values are. They're remembering meaning. They're remembering why they're doing this in the first place. And yet, there's no movies about being at home. There's no blockbuster epic books about, you know, learning what's most important to you. You just skip ahead to like, oh, I've got to go save the realm and go off and do it, right? 
And yeah. so this idea that we are getting only half a story hmm. is particularly damaging to boys and men because we're not given the other half of relating, of creating foundations of meaning and value. And, you know, we, we're, we're told, get the dragon. You know, it's, it's pretty telling that only until recently has it been anything other than kill or banish the dragon, but that's a whole other conversation, right? Right. But, you know, this, the, the options of who we are and how we are and what we do in life is, is, are significantly curtailed and, and our world is, is shrunk because of the omnipotence of this one story hmm. that has been called the monomyth. And it's like everywhere we look. They don't make blockbuster movies about weeding your garden. There, I I feel like I was supposed to hear this message. I know we're talking about men, but I think I was supposed to hear this message today because, and again, I'll mm. speak to like American culture. It's so much about hustle, right? It's so much about achieving. And even, and and then you add in social media, <laughs> Right. And like seeing edited yeah. versions of people's lives and follower counts. And, you know, like it, it is God, it's really it's really powerful to see it through that lens. It's really powerful to see it through that lens and. um, And how pervasive those beliefs are. Right. And even more so with men, because they're supposed to be the provider. Yes. They're supposed to be the career driven one. They're supposed to be, you know, and. And we don't have a culture that values. Um, celebrates, maybe rewards um, mm -hmm. the simpler things and. And that anxiety of just constantly chasing is exhausting. I mean, I'm just speaking from my own experience. It's something I it's something I feel like I'm always wrestling with for myself to untangle, to undo, to like, how do I sever this little weed that keeps popping up because it's so embedded in our culture, but it's it's exponentially an even larger pressure because it's so much a part of the identity of men, right? Like when you were saying earlier, like if I'm not this, who am I? And, you know, and it's interesting because I think also of, you know, we, you know, like when I work with CEOs who are retiring and yes. that like one, like losing that identity, that's been their identity, but also part of it is losing the power that they had and sometimes struggling sure. with that sense of loss, you know, which is fine, like, like honor that loss and um, you know, or, or seeing people who are like, I've been doing, like, I got to the top and I don't feel any different. Yes. Right. Well, and to go back to what you said about honoring the loss, right. A hundred percent, like it is a loss, right. You move, you know, like that again, like there's nothing wrong with the hero's journey in a story. Like, yes, there is importance. Like you can get success. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but and and if you retire, then you're there is a loss. Like, but I think what you're saying is so important, right? Feel the loss. Yeah. Like that's the thing that we're missing as men. You know, I, I I tend to say to a lot of my clients, and I talk about it a lot here, it is never my intent or goal with any of the therapy or coaching I offer, help people feel better. Mm. It's my intent and goal to help people feel. Mm. Because that's really where we connect. That's where we, you know, like, yeah, you know, have aspirations. I have them, you know, like I want to do some epic stuff, you know, I'm going for it. <laughs> and I'm not going to do it to the detriment of my children or my wife or, you know, my friends. And, you know, I'm hoping they'll be, you know, all be on the journey with me, you know, and, and um, you know, certainly journeyman has grown much more slowly because of that, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. What I well, and I, I, I could imagine and appreciate that because I see this in our work, which is like a shade different, but similar, you know, like some, some similarities, but differences, like just to be clear, I'm always like, you, I, I can help you here, 
you actually need a therapist here, right? Like I, I am constantly referring clients just all the time. And in fact, in fact, somebody once asked me, why don't you just become a therapist? Like they're like, that's like so much of what you do feels like it's just like outside. And I was like, because I get to work with people who might not feel like they can or should see a therapist, but I can open the door to get them to see it right once we we have that relationship. Absolutely. But I but I would imagine that there 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 just has to be a willingness and a readiness because any kind of any kind of inner work is hard or can be challenging. Any kind of challenging the the dominant norms and reflecting. And I love that exercise of, you know, what are the dominant stories that we've told ourselves or our family has told us or our culture has told us and that idea that that's shadowing out other parts of possibilities. Um, For the, for the, for the, for the people who are, you know, who find themselves well, I got, and this might be a real, this might, you don't need to answer this, but I guess the question that's coming up for me is what is it that, so let me ask the question. Then you can be like, I don't know that I can. What is it that you hear people are craving or wanting when they're deciding to work with you or to be a part of the community you're building? Uh, I'd love to answer it. So, but you know, just, just to go back for a minute, you're right. It is a really hard thing to engage. You know, my friends will tease me that, you know, like, oh, I picked a niche that is notoriously hard and then made it harder by, by not just men, but fathers. Um, but I, I think it is, it's so important. And, and so when I do get men, I mean, the funny part, or not the fun part, but the validating and meaningful part is it is so hard to get guys to get to raise their hand for this, but when they do, it's kind of like you were saying earlier, like they 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 sit up straighter. They they there's mm-hmm. like they walk through life differently. And and you know, so many of the guys um that have gone through the program, it's a small number, but so many of them will say how important it was to them and how they now see the world differently and how they still stay connected. You know, I have a mm-hmm. um for anyone who's gone through the program, there's an open house every Tuesday that people just show up. There's no process. There's no uh, agenda. And, you know, I have a handful of guys, different guys. So I would say over the course of a couple of weeks, I might have 85% of all the guys who've ever gone to my program show up to the to this open mm. house for no reason. And it's during the business day. It's during the day, right? Mm. Um, so I think to answer your question, which I, I've been maybe avoiding, but I'll be direct. And well, to answer your question, I think guys are saying they want to be, they want more presence. They want to be, they want to mm. be able to be more present with their family and with themselves. They want to feel like they're being more intentional. They want to be able to well, basically know and be themselves with the people they purport mm. to love the most. Mm. And, and that's what I hear really the most. And I hear that after the program that's what they're able to do and so you know one guy said his goal was explicitly to be able to connect with his kids more and at the end of the program when we had our exit interview he said i did that but the surprising thing was i'm more in love with my wife than i've ever been Hmm. and another guy that i'm thinking about he came in and he said you know i want to be able to make more time for my son And about a quarter of the way through the program, he says, you know, I actually think I do that really well. I'm going to look for what else I need to do. And by the end, he said, I have changed my relationship with my own father more dramatically than Mm. I ever thought I would. So Mm. just to go back, the idea of adventure or journeys, part of the definition of of an adventure or journey, whether it is a big epic hero's adventure or a foundational mundane adventure, is you don't know what's going to happen at the end. There is a, an element of unknown and of risk that you have to be able to step into. And so yet, you know, that's also another potential challenge. But when we get guys to raise their hands for it, they are, um, 
they're really it's it's really quite powerful um i would say the other thing that guys are able to do through the program or they say they want is to learn how to be more intentional with their time time is mm -hmm. always a huge pain point it's sure. huge uh, it gets in the way and um a big part of journeyman's foundational sort of components is social action and responsibility and so a lot mm. of the guys that get involved are like yeah i care about the world these are guys who give a shit right but they mm -hmm. don't have time they don't I, yeah. i'm doing this i'm doing this and yet what i teach them and what we really work on is that being a connected man being a connected father is social action Mm. And you can start there. You start mm. at home. Um, you know, I, I love to tell the story that, um, well, months ago, but when all of the, the crap with Roe v. Wade went down, I sent an email to every guy that gone through the program. At that point, it was a small number, but I sent it to every single one of them and said, I'm having feelings, and Journeyman's all about both sharing feelings and being aware of social stuff. Mm. I imagine some other guys are going to feel something. Do you want to show up at this point at this day? And let's just have a conversation with less than two business days notice during the business day. I had 85% of wow. all of the graduates in my program show up to have a conversation. Now that wasn't a big number, yeah. but it was a huge percentage. Yeah. 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 Men who wanted to show up and say, yeah, this, this makes me upset. This makes, you know, I have a, I have a guy who went through who's in the military and he said, I'm showing up today just to let everyone else know that people in fatigues care about this shit too. Mm. And like, he said, I sent my whole team home and said, go, go be with your wives today. This is terrible. You know, and, and, you know, he got in trouble in fact. And, but he's like, this is important. And so men are able to not just be connected at home and, be more intentional at home and be more present at home, but they're also able to then like the hero's journey is one narrative. I call the work we do uh, foundational journeys or foundational adventures. And I feel that if you build the strong foundation, then you're more able and willing to be epic and legendary if you so choose. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if nothing else, yeah, you yeah, be yeah. more connected to the world around you. Yeah. And I would imagine, I would imagine yeah. part of, you know, what you create too is, um, I mean, obviously safety, but a, 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 a layer of safety or a layer of expectation of the, you know, people who are part of your program know, well, the other people are trying to do this too. And it's so much easier to be vulnerable when, you know, other people are trying to do it too. It's easier to take those risks when, you know, okay, we're all kind of in this together. It's awkward, but and, and I would imagine that's part of the gift of the space you create too. again, like you were saying early on in our conversation, like you don't talk, you don't shut down the, you know, what locker room chalk you don't, right? Like otherwise then, then the target gets put on your back. And um, I just, I think it's really, really necessary work that you're doing. It's, if I could just jump in, I love that she said yeah. a layer of safety. <laughs> it's a great yeah. great metaphor um i as i as you know as i mentioned i love metaphor i love stories and i worked really hard to find the metaphor for the work i'm doing hmm. because i'm not you know like we don't do many co like i said before many coaching programs use the narrative the hero's journey as a metaphor for what they do um and this is not that and so i was like all right we are going on a journey so what what what's our sort of you know metaphor and by turning it on its head and, and you know, men, when, when coaches, when programs use the hero's journey, it's often looks, there are a bunch of men, there's a very common goal with that common goal. We go off together to do this journey. Mm. We mm. get some, you know, treasures and then we go home to our family and we're better for it. Right. That's, that's the vast majority of programs. I turn that on its head because the real adventure for these guys, for all of us is at home. It's not with me and mm. another group of guys. And so I really thought like my favorite scenes and parts of books and movies for my whole life, even as a kid, was not the, the, the dragon battling. It was the inn, the tavern, the cantina, the, <laughs> like the, the meeting spaces, right? And why do guys go to inns? Why do they go to the tavern? 
you know, not just to drink, because that's not a part of what we're doing at all. But why do they go? They go for community. They go to hear stories, tell stories. They go to get training or to find new equipment or to get information from the shady guy in the corner, right? They go to be nourished and to rest and to find a new quest or to find some, to, to look at a map. And so the metaphor that I use is their adventures are with their families. They all have their own goals. I meet, I meet with every guy individually before the program and they set their own treasures. It isn't set by me or it isn't set by the group. They set out their own treasures and they have their adventure at home. But once a week, they come to the inn and they can, and you get to see these men mm. who let their shoulders down and enter the inn and get nourished. And our meetings are threefold, right? They are to go over our curriculum and to get the training and the, the tools. They're to share the work we're doing, like, oh, man, let me tell you what I did last, you know, like to, to, to do that. And also to just commune together and shoot the shit, like right? yeah. That's what we do. And, and so what happens is you have these, all these men with different goals and different treasures, but every time someone speaks, I see all of the guys' heads nodding. Mm. And they're all, mm. you know, like, so our, our sort of motto is your work is our work. Your journey is our journey. Because we gather together at the end and we, mm. we, we do this work together, but then we go off and try it. Like, go, go home and do some of the work and then you can come back and we'll see how it goes. And so, so much of this is turning typical coaching and, and things on its head yeah. to really say, your work is back there. Mm. You get support here. We get it. And we'll, we'll do, you know, like mm. um, this fall, I'm hoping to do my first retreat with graduates of the, mm. of the program. And incredibly selfishly, I want to do the retreat just because I want to I want to cook them all of you. I want to serve these guys in you know, like mm. that that's that's why I want to get them together. <laughs> I love it. Jason, you're such a you're such a gift and we could clearly keep talking and obviously we need a future episode to learn more about you. Before before I give you a chance to share how people can connect with you who might be interested in your work, we do always ask a question, and I apologize that I did not send it to you in advance, so feel free to take whatever time you need. But, you know, given that this, our focus and intent with this uh, these conversations is to reflect on the conversations we have with ourselves and others, what, what was a conversation you had either with yourself or with someone else that was transformative? Mm-hmm. All right, so I can pretend no. that I've been thinking it all, but Nick, Nick actually Kay. sent me the question. So oh, I Nick noticed. did send. Oh, right, he does send it. Sorry, Nick. I know you're like on top of it. Thanks, Nick. Um, <laughs> but this was easy. It was an easy one because, well, it was hard because I, I have lots of. I mean, I've my life is about having conversations, but this was an easy one to to answer because I have um, best friend and a brother who I've known since preteen, and we've had powerful conversations our whole lives. But I, I, I remember, I mean, um, there's two specific, but uh, the first one that is really important was we were traveling together and seeing a concert. You know, we were going to see a number of concerts together. And, you know, it was one of these concerts where big stadiums and lots of room to dance and move around, but you were traveling. So we had a bag, right? Mm. And so we first get in and we go to the like nosebleed seats and we set our bag down and we sort of looked at each other. We said, this is home. So if Mm. we ever get separated, if we ever, you know, whatever, this is home. And it became a thing for us. This, you know, we were probably Mm. maybe not even in our twenties yet. It became a thing for us that wherever we went, we needed a home. Mm. Right. And we would set that home up. Then we were, you know, a decade later, we're camping and that that had been a powerful experience. We, you know, we talked about it at work. It's become clearly a big thing in my work. And we wound up going camping and we found an old tent platform, big tent platform. And we decided we would put our tents elsewhere, but we'd hang out on the platform because it was flat and not muddy and all of that. And he looks at me at one point, he goes, well, once you have a home, you need a table. And so this has become a decades long conversation of like, what are the basic needs that we, we mm. want? We need a home. We need a table. We need, you know, companions. You know, we need this. And so each and every time that we get together, and we've been doing this, you know, we've been adventuring together for, oh goodness, 
almost 40 years. And it is the foundation of everything we do. So I have spent with him and a few other close friends and our families, we've spent the last 25 New Year's together. Mm-hmm. And with our children, with our, you know, we make the time to do that. And because of that, we have this friendship where um, it is family. It is, it is, you know, we mm-hmm. can be vulnerable. We can talk to one another. That being said, and I'm sorry, like if I'm taking a long answer, no, but this is also really important. We, we recently had this conversation too, where this is the work I do. We've just spent time talking about it. And he's a very sensitive guy as well. He's been a teacher. He's, you know, he's very aware of these things. We've been close friends for almost 40 years. And I don't think we said, I love you mm-hmm. until we met in our early, you know, before we were teens. I don't think we said it until our 30s. And even then it was, I love you, man. Mm-hmm. And then it graduated to, I love you, brother. And only within the last, like, let's say seven years, and these are two men who are pretty aware of this stuff, was I, were we able to look at each other and just say, you know, I, I love you. I so appreciate mm-hmm. you and, I, and you've been really important to my life. And so mm-hmm. I recognize the challenge and the, 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 the issue that this brings in our world when, you know, we've, we've cried with one another, we've held each other like we were at each other's weddings, we, you know, we've done this. And it took 30 years for us to say it without feeling uncomfortable. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's there's some personal personal reflection on that one in, in my own my my own life, our own lives of like, how do we how do we say that more often? And how do we, you know? Yeah, just how do we say what we need to say without some like, uh, yeah, you know, you're, you know, like some kind of joking mm-hmm. or right, like, weird pat yeah. on the back or whatever the case might be. Um, Jason, you're you, you, I love everything about what you're doing. And I can only imagine that there are people who are listening to this who are thinking, I think I am interested in this, or I think I'm ready for this, or this is what I've been looking for. So what are the best ways for people to connect with you if they want to learn more about your work? Well, simply, let's see, the the website has a contact section. So my website is journeymenfoundation.com. And I'll I'll make sure that you have all that. But Mm -hmm. That's easy. Um, if you want to be more direct, because right now I'm the only one doing it, like there's no one else at Journeyman. So my email is journeyman. I mean, I'm sorry, Jason at journeymanfoundation.com. And um, I'm also on, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So that's also an easy way to find me. Jason S, Dr. Jason S. Frischman at LinkedIn. So I can give you all of that. Awesome. But Yeah, um, and we'll be sure to add those to the point, show notes. Yeah, the, and at this point, like I said, I would really love to just connect with people. So like, you know, you send me a message, you're going to hear from me. You know, there's no, I haven't figured out the tech yet. So you don't even get an automated response. It is from me. (laughs) I don't either. And I, well, again, that's a conversation (laughs) for another day. I was like, we're, uh, I'll just still be with my stone tablet, like chiseling away was like AI takes over, but (laughs) that's a, that's a nightmare to discuss another day. But I, um, thank you so much for saying yes to coming on the show for doing the work you're doing. It is, I mean, you said it best that it is such a, it's such a linchpin to the health of our society. Mm. It's such a linchpin in ways that I think we don't always realize, pay attention to, see, and um, and the cost the cost is real to everyone. So thank you for doing your work and coming on the show. Our guest this week has been Jason Frischman, and one of the things that I'm taking away and reflecting on is just that um, idea of what are the dominant stories that um, are limiting you somehow and what are the stories that they might be closing out or uh, maybe not true for you. Um, So that's just, I thought that was really powerful. I have a whole list of things, but we want to hear from you. What resonated, what came up for you? And you can always reach out to us at podcast at sarahnullwilson.com. You can also check me out on social media where my DMs are always open 
And also, if you'd like to support the show, if you haven't already, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. This helps us continue to bring on really great guests and have great conversations like we did today. And if you haven't, you also can consider becoming a patron. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where your financial contribution supports the amazing team that puts the show together. Speaking of the amazing team, let's give them some shout out to my our producer, Nick Wilson, to our sound editor, Drew Noll, our transcriptionist, Becky Reinert, our marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson, and the rest of the Snowco crew. I'm so grateful for you. And finally, just a big old thank you to Jason Frischman for the work that he's doing, for the ways he's pushing us all to reconsider how we can show up more powerfully. Um, just so grateful to have him on the show. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and each other, we can change the world. So my friends, please be sure to rest, rehydrate, and I'll see you again next week.